You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Uh, we've been talking about that change, that process um, of being made into more like Christ, of, of what it takes to make us more like Him. And today is kind of um, a, a unique portion of Second Corinthians, that which we're walking through. Today is the eye-opener of understanding that you are not finished yet, <laughs> right? Uh, we all know that we're not finished. So Paul talks about this whole idea that, remember, uh, you have a lot to learn, you have a lot to grow in, uh, but he also finds something pleasurable to say about them, which is kind of cool. Uh, I want you to imagine for just a second that um, I was going to be... Um, replaced. Okay. Um, yes. Um, we're doing interviews right now and, uh, the, the team, the elders have Googled a guy's name and this is what they found out and see if this sounds pretty good. A replacement for myself or probably more likely a replacement for our youth pastor. Um, (laughs) just kidding, man. I, I wouldn't replace Sean for anything. I love him. Uh, but you might replace me. So here's uh, here's the guy's uh, Google search gave us this information. It says that uh, this particular person had been arrested several times, that he was in and out of prison, that he was often run out of town and run out of churches, uh, that he was uh, unknowledgeable of the Internet. In fact, he had no website. He had no Facebook. He had no Twitter, and he had no credit. Uh, he'd never owned a home, and uh, when he speaks, he tends to confuse people, and he was known to preach up to eight hours. In fact, one time he preached so long, a guy fell out of a window asleep and died. Unimpressive appearance. Uh, he was not good looking. He, didn't, he wasn't nice to look at, and he often got involved in public controversies. Now, to me, that does not sound like the resume of someone that I would hire. How about you guys? Does that sound like someone you'd want around? Uh, It's not for me. Uh, Well, either did the church in Corinth, because this is actually a description of the Apostle Paul, the guy who started their church. Uh, In 2 Corinthians, Paul is actually writing to them, to the church that he started, and uh, who now wanted nothing to do with him, uh, because a group of critics have come in behind him and basically picked apart every single thing of his life and his teaching. And Paul's having to come in and correct their teaching, their perspective, and correct this guy and bring some leadership. So basically, this guy who came in, this group of people saying, you can't trust anything Paul says. So Paul is responding. He responded with four letters. We only have two of them. This, 2 Corinthians, is the fourth letter out of four. We only have two of them. This was the last one. He says, you want evidence of who I am? You want evidence that uh, that I am your pastor, that I am the one who uh, God is using? He didn't tell them to look at the building program that he put together. He didn't say, remember that church? We built that church together. Remember the funds that we raised, the building pledge that we made? He didn't bring up his popularity. He didn't and couldn't point to a TV show or a radio show. He didn't, he didn't bring up the number of baptisms that he had dunked. Instead, he said, you want proof? He said, the proof is you. You are the proof. So let's pick it up right there. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, 
This is what he says. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Basically, are you wanting me to justify myself to you again? Do I need to bring credentials? Are you asking me to justify and to say how much I deserve to have your ear? He says, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You know, often we do the same thing to people and to ourselves that they were doing to Paul. See, oftentimes we judge ourselves through our accomplishments, through our degrees, through our uh, account, through our title. Paul is asking, do you really need for me to send you a letter of recommendation again? And there's a question that he's asking here, and he's asking you, he's asking me, how do you judge success? How do you judge that you're growing? How do you judge that you're in touch with God? How do you judge that that your walk with God is the real deal? How do you judge? It's not a letter. I mean, letters are sometimes necessary. I know some of you are going on mission work, and and I've been asked to, to bring a letter of recommendation for you on your behalf to this organization. I totally get it. They don't know you, but they knew Paul. And he he says, do I need to justify myself to you? I mean, I know you guys. I planted that church. I spent several years with you. So he says, verse two, he says, here's my recommendation. He says, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You know that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written, not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. I love this. He says, you want proof? You want real proof? The proof is you. Change lives. The fruit of our time together. Now, I want you to know something. Corinth had this horrible reputation. There was what's known as to Corinthianize. To Corinthianize was a slanderous term. In ancient times, if you were called a Corinthian and you weren't a Corinthian, you're basically said that you were on the lowest level of self-deprivation and that you um, fulfilled your sexual and selfish appetites to their fullest. So when someone would says, you are like a Corinthian or you have been Corinthianized, it was saying that you <laughs> are self-indulgent kind of almost pervert. And Paul says, you know, you want to know the recommendation letter? Take a look in the mirror. He says, just look at yourself. Think about it. You're not who you used to be. In fact, he wrote this to the Corinthians one time in 1 Corinthians. He says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says something real powerful. The very next verse, he says, and that is what some of you were. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. That means you're made holy and you were justified. That means that you were made right in the eyes of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. He says, you want evidence? Just look at yourself. You're not who you used to be. You want to know if my ministry is legitimate or not? Just take a look at the change that's happened in your life 
because of the time that I've spent with you. You're not who you used to be. That is what you were by the Holy Spirit, not any longer. And I, and I love this whole idea here. I'm going to talk about this a little bit, and that's the miracle of a life changed. I, I want you just to unwrap this. He says, no longer is it just in a book, but it's now in your heart. He says, you were lost, but now you're found. You were dead, but now you're alive. You were once an adulterer. You were once a prostitute. You were once a thief. You were once a cheat. You were once a drunkard. You were once in the lowest levels of self-deprivation, but now no more. You are new. Thank God. I want you to write this down. We're talking about transformation. How do we get through? What builds, what brings transformation. How do we get to the place where we know God is making us? And I want you to, this is number one. This is a core foundational issue. Sean unpacked this a few weeks ago, and that is salvation, true salvation brings transformation. True salvation. This is not about walking an aisle, saying a prayer, getting a dunk, signing a card, getting perfect attendance star. This is true salvation. I like to call it true regeneration, true life change, true born again inside of you. You are brand new. When you are truly saved, listen to me, you are transformed. And things begin to change that you can't even explain. And Paul says, This is what you were. By the way, good news for you, if that's what you still are, you don't have to be that anymore. He says, this is what you were. Maybe you're one of those things, and you're wondering, you know somebody. Is there any hope for him? Yeah, through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit of God, through the the name of Jesus Christ, they can become a once were too. Some of you are there. Transformation begins, true, truly begins, When you are truly saved, saying a prayer is not it, but it is about a real life change that takes place. Paul says, you are walking letters. You are walking words of God. When you are standing in front of people, you are a letter that is read before people that says, I am not the same anymore. A couple of things on this is number one says, he says, when you are truly saved, you are visibly different. It's not just, well, I believed in my heart and I can continue to be any way I want to be. We're going to unpack that whole thought in small groups this week in the Bible study. He says, you are visibly different. The change is read by others. It's a different story they're reading. He says in verse 2 that you are a letter known and read by everyone. In verse 3, he says, you show that you are a letter. You show it. People can see the letter that gets started. That pain-filled page is made brand spanking new and it is ready to be filled with a new journey where the hand of God is riding into your life. I want you to unpack that for just a second. There's a new story written about you. Thank God for that because some of you, before Christ, your story is one of shame and regret and pain. But through the eyes of Christ and redemption and new life, that old story of pain is a beautiful story of transformation and life change. 
It's an inside job. Here's the second thing I want you to realize. It's an inside job that affects the outside. He says it's, it's not on tablets of stone. He says it's on tablets of hearts. He says this is something that has taken place inside. It's not transformation that brings salvation, but salvation that brings transformation. Rules cannot change a heart. A lot of people ask, well, does a person need to stop being a drunk to come to God? No way. Does a person have to stop, you know, sleeping around to come to God? No way. Does a person stop uh, have to being, does someone have to stop being a pie head to come to Christ? No way. Just come. Just come and meet Jesus. Meet God. Meet the Savior. Meet the Holy Spirit who will change us from the inside out. Amen. Our heart is changed. When true salvation takes place, transformation follows. That's why it says, come as you are. Just come. But once you meet Jesus, a new story begins to be written, uh, begins to be written and a new life is lived. Jesus is the writer. The Holy Spirit is the ink. Paul was the pen. And you are the paper, he says. You are the letter of God read to the world. Mm. Our life tells the story of the gospel, of Jesus saving power to conquer a life and to bring freedom to a soul, to a broken life. Paul didn't point to attendance numbers. He didn't point to baptism numbers. He didn't point to programs that he had started or degree from others to tell them who he is. He simply said, if you want to know about me, look at what God has done in your lives because of me. I want you to, this question's in your notes, and I want you to think deeply about this question. This is a very heart-wrenching question. What do the lives of those around you say about your life of God? I mean, when you go to school, when you go to work, when you hang out with friends, what are they reading? What's the letter of your life that is being read by the world? Unfortunately for some of you, it's a vulgar book. For some of you, it is a Possibly <laughs> I can't I'm not going to say. I was going to say something. I'm just going to keep it clean. Filter. All right. I'm learning to filter my words a little better. What is your fruit? Who do you disciple? Who do you mentor? Who are you walking with? Who's sharing who are you sharing Jesus with? Who are your letters? That's an even bigger question. Not only are you being read, but every disciple should have their own letters. You know, I count many of you as my letters. Now, many of you, you don't get a chance to come up here. Some of you, your letters might be your kids. But what do your kids read to the world? Some of you, your letters might be your closest friends at work that you're imparting life into and encouraging. It may be your circle of friends. They may be your letters. But who are your letters God does not measure our success on the accolades and achievements, but on the lives of those around us who are closer to God because of us. He goes on in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. He says, because of this, we have such confidence. He says, such confidence we have. That means we don't lose heart. We don't give in. We don't give up. We keep pressing forward through Christ before God. Not that we 
are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He says, this is not by me, but is by God. Paul was a brilliant, educated person. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. That means he knew the word of God like you couldn't imagine. He was a guy who miracles followed. I mean, people walked in his shadows and they were healed. This is a guy who traveled the world. He met with kings. He sat across the table with great leaders. But he says many times, if there's anything at all good in me, it is God. I want you to write this down. And this, is, this will bring transformation is that deep or true brokenness, deep brokenness brings transformation. It's been said that the man who knows he is a nobody, God will make somebody. Mm. I, I hear the words of John the Baptist, who is, who is, the Bible says that Moses was the most humble man in the entire Bible apart from Christ, and that Moses is the greatest prophet, and the second greatest prophet, bar none, the Bible says that there's been no other one like John the Baptist. Here's a guy who had the, the, the word of the kings, who had massive thousands of people following him, and when Jesus shows up, his words, his prayer, his cry was, dear God, less of me, God, make less of me. I must become less so that Jesus might become greater. This is the cry of a true transformed heart. Deep brokenness. Here's some verses. Psalm 51, 16 says, You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. Do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken heart is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. James 4, 6 says, But he gives you a greater, a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, and he gives great grace to the humble. Here's the deal. If you want God to work in your life and transform your life, and you've said, Jesus, you are Lord, we need to make it a habit of being broken. And a lot of times, because God loves us so much, you know what he'll do when we are not broken before him? Guess what he does? Those that are truly his, he will break. He will break us and break us to transform us. And I want to tell you something, it is better for you to break yourself than to have God break you. If you can humble yourself privately and and be broken before him, then he won't have to break you and humble you publicly. And this is something that Paul learned. He says, if there's anything at all that I've achieved or done in in another letter, he says, I count it all worthless. It's, It's the lowest of the low. It is done to me. It is nothing. If all I can say is that Christ is in me, then that is enough. He doesn't have a long list of his accomplishments. The things he does list you're going to find in this book in a couple of weeks is he lists his brokenness. Deep brokenness brings transformation. The letter of our heart is written through brokenness before God. This is not about me. This life is about me 
It's not about what I want to do. It's not about where I want to go. It's not about how many rides I can ride or how many tickets I can get, how much money I can make. God, this is about you. And God, transform me so that my life and my eyes are always about you. Those are the people that shine. Here's another thing. I want you to write this down. A true teachable spirit brings transformation. What Paul's about to do is he begins to explain how God is doing something new in us, in Christ, that there's a new and a greater covenant. He says, if you will open your eyes to the truth and be teachable. Here's how he begins. The very next verse, uh, verse, verse 6, he says, he has made us competent as ministers. Jesus Christ has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter uh, this is not of the written word, uh, but of the spirit for the letter kills. Now I'm going to explain that in a minute. He's talking about the old Testament. He's talking about the law of the rules and regulations of the old Testament, the, the 10 commandments, the Torah, the first five books and the prophets. He says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now let me explain that the old Testament functions like a CAT scan. Now, I had cancer in 2009. And you know how they found out for sure that I had cancer? Through a series of x-rays, CAT scans, and PET scans. That CAT scan identified my problem. The CAT scan says you got cancer. But the CAT scan does not solve the problem. It does not cure the disease. And the Old Testament is the CAT scan that says... You've got a cancer called sin. You are broken and, and we are, are horrible at doing our best. That we fail when we try and that we, it's good to try. It's good to try to strive for what is right, but we will fail. And the Old Testament reminds us, you have a problem called sin. But by itself, all it does is identify that we are dying as sinners. That's why he says the the letter kills. He says that Old Testament, all it does is condemn us. By the way, I don't break the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments break me. It tells me I, I, I don't fall short of necessarily the Ten Commandments. They identify that I am already one in sin who has fallen short already. I don't, I'm not born good and then make mistakes. The Old Testament identifies that I'm born as a sinner. And I've got a disease that can't be cured. But thank God, here comes Jesus, right? Here comes the Spirit of God. He says the the Old Testament, he says, it kills you. But the this new covenant, this new life, this new teaching, I want to open your eyes. He says, it brings life. I love that picture. He says, that's the difference between having a religion and knowing Jesus. Religion is a striving to be right, to be good, to reach God while Jesus has come to us. Verse 9, he says, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, he says, if that Old Testament was glorious, and it is, he says, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? See, the message of the New Testament is There is no condemnation who are in Christ Jesus. The message of the Old Testament is you are condemned. 
And the Old Testament is the story of man trying to work through their own failures and sin. And the New Testament is freedom has come, no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. He says, if the Old Testament is glorious and it is, and it fails at bringing us life, how much more the New Testament, this new covenant, Jesus, that gives us life? How much more glorious is that? He says, verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. He says, man, I can stand before you right now and I, I can, you know, in the face of all the accusers that tell me, by the way, the guys that were coming in behind Paul to bring the church down, were telling them that they, these group of Corinth believers, these brand new Christians in a wild city who were Greek, most of them were not Jewish. They had no idea even what the Old Testament taught. These these guys that came in behind Paul were saying, all right, you've learned about Jesus. Now to be a real Christian, you have to live by the Ten Commandments. You have to live by the law and the festivals. You have to live by the order of, of the holy days. And you have to be circumcised. And you have to do all these things to truly be a believer. Paul says, are you out of your mind? Listen, that is fading away, but you are in freedom now. He says, it's still glorious. It glory, it's glorious in that it reveals the heart of God and our heart. God's holiness and our sinfulness. It is a glorious book, but yet it falls short of salvation. And he says, and here comes Jesus. And because of that, I can boldly stand before you, and I can boldly stand against my accusers, and I can boldly go before the throne of God because I am forgiven. Hebrews 4.16 says, the grace of Jesus Christ, because of that, we can boldly go before the throne of God with mercy and grace. Verse 13, he says, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Now, let me explain this to you. Paul was uh, referencing Exodus 34, starting with verse 29. He basically says in the Old Testament, Moses hung out with God. And we know that. I mean, if you, if you read through Exodus, Moses spent a lot of time up on Mount Sinai with God. And that Moses... His time spent with God, seeing God's glory, actually made him shine with the glory of God as well. So what he would do when he came down off the mountain, he shined so much with glory that he had to cover his face from everyone because the glory was so great, it brightened them. So Paul says, we're not like Moses who spends time with God with a veiled face before us. Check this out. This is what he says. He says, he's saying, Moses, after being with God, wore a veil. And that glory, by the way, on Moses' face, it faded away. It didn't last. Years later, Moses didn't have to wear a veil. The glory had faded. He says, how much more glorious is a glory that doesn't fade. He says, but in their minds, uh, but their minds were dull, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read in synagogues and in churches at that time and still today. It has been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. He says, there are those that still read the Old Testament, read the Read the law and the prophets. And you know what they do? 
when they read the Law and the Prophets, they, they veil their face. And then they read the Prophets. And the veil represents uh, a bit our shame, our sin. It represents our, our inability to know God. But Paul says something uh, unique. This is what he says. He says, if I can see it with this, through this veil. He says, verse 15, he says, Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers our hearts covers their hearts. He says, a veil covers their hearts. And I want you to write this down. This is under that whole teachable spirit thing, is that there are people who are spiritually blind. Even to this day, some people just don't get it. They just can't see it. Unbelievers are spiritually blind. I want to tell you something. Some of you here today are veiled. Some of you today have walked in and you hear the music, but you don't see the glory of God. Some of you, you're hearing me speak and you're seeing shimmers of light through the veil, but you don't quite understand what is being said today. It's just not connecting with you because you have a veil over your heart. Paul says to this day, there are those who have a veiled heart. He says, who have eyes that cannot see. He says in, in chapter three, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, he says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. To some, Jesus makes no sense. It's foolishness. You can't see it. There are people that know a whole lot about the Bible, but it brings no life to them. It brings no salvation to them. They know the trivia answers. They know how to fill in the blanks. They might even look at my notes and try to figure it out. But there is no life transformation. And he says there are people, there are very intellectually knowledgeable people. And a person's own intellect can rob them of the truth. I want to tell you something, by the way. You can't argue someone into seeing. You cannot argue someone into seeing Jesus. You can't get mad at a blind man who can't see the color green. We lead, we guide, we introduce them to the light, but only Christ. And so I want you to write this down. God alone can give sight to the blind. God alone God might use you to get them to him, but you cannot convince someone to heaven. You might even get someone to finally agree with you, but only through God is someone born again. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, but whenever anyone, by the way, anyone, and we read earlier that some of you, this is what some of you were, anyone, anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. To see God, to see ourselves, to see real life, to see understanding. Here's the deal. When the veil is over us, this is how we are. We don't realize we're dirty and that we're filthy. We can't see that we are sinners. We think, I mean, I'm fine, I'm cool, I'm good. 
Where's the hole? (laughs) I didn't give myself one. Here we go. I'm good. We can't see our own filth. Here's what Paul says. He says, when the veil is removed, we can see ourselves for who we are. We can see our own filth. We can see our own sin. We see our pride and, and we see uh, our shame. And, and we see the things that we have done in the light of God. When the veil is removed and the light of God shines upon the darkness of our heart, we realize how dark we are. We see the condition of our heart, but thank God we also see the grace of Jesus. Verse 17, he says, now the Lord, and this is what happens. He says, now the Lord is the spirit. Jesus is that spirit. The Lord is the spirit that allows us to see. And he says, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, everybody say it with me, freedom. Say, let's say it again. There is, there is freedom. Free from sin, free from self, free to love, free to give of our life to others, free to serve The veil is removed and our eyes see the truth. The light of God then shines on our heart. The lost and the blind are rescued and they turn to Jesus. And we begin to then reflect the life and light of Christ. And we become letters that are read to the world. Paul says there are some who have a veil and they're still blind. Some of you are blind today. You're still zoning out and you don't get it. Will you allow the light of God to shine on you today. Will you allow God to take the veil off? Verse 18, he says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate. Some translations say we all look in a mirror. He says, and, and it, when the word, you see the word contemplate, it means in the original, it means to gaze upon yourself in a mirror. He says, we all, I love this, who with unveiled faces, looking in the mirror, we see the Lord's glory. Mm. We see ourselves in a new light. Through God's grace, we see ourselves differently. And we can see the change that is happening in us. And we see who we really are. And he says, and we see that, the Lord's glory that we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Some translations say from glory to glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry. I love this. We don't lose heart. That word don't lose heart means faint hearted coward. He says, when I look in the mirror, He says, you want to know who I am? Just look at yourself. Because when the veil is off, we see that we're growing. You see that you're a different man. I want you to just for a minute, look in the mirror of your mind, of yourself. Where were you a year ago with God? What were you doing a year ago? How were you living a year ago? What was the focus of your heart a year ago? Many of you can say, well, I can tell you one thing. I'm (laughs) looking in the mirror. I can see that I'm a different person. I I can see that I'm not struggling with the same thing. 
I can see that, man, I'm closer to God. I can see that once I was lost, thank God that now I am found. That I once was this, but now I'm this. That was me. But I see looking in the mirror every, you know, we look at the growth of our life and we think, God, am I growing? God, because I don't see it. I want to encourage you to do something. Those that are closest to you, ask them how you are growing. Husbands, ask your wives. Wives, ask your husbands. Friends, ask your friends. Ask your kids. Say, am I different today than I was a month ago, than I was six months ago, than I was a year ago? Ask people to read you as a letter and ask them to look into the life of you and say, am I growing from glory to glory? Am I being transformed into God's Spirit, am I looking more and more like God in there? Because if you can't see it, pray to God that he will let you see it in you. Because chances are, there's probably a very good chance that somebody will go, you know what, I see it in you. I see the change. You may not see it, but I see. You're not talking the same way you used to be. You're not acting. You're not as vulgar. Your language is different. You're so much more generous. You're so much kinder. You seem to be on fire for God. You're reading God's word now. You weren't a year ago. You may not see it, but I see it. Paul says we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And because of that, because we see the growth, we don't give up like cowards. Because I... Because I I know that I'm growing. I may not have it all together. I may still stumble. I may say some things I don't want to say and do some things I don't want to do. But I'm doing them less than I was a year ago. And because I see that I'm growing, I don't walk away from this whole Jesus thing and think it's a hoax and that I'm a failure. Mm. When we look in the mirror and see God working in us, we see that God is making us. Ask those around you what they see. Paul says this, you want to know how we are transformed? He says, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I want you to write this down. This is the last thing, and that is spending time with Jesus brings transformation. They're like, well, how do I transform? All right, you give your life to Christ. You're truly born again. You're truly regenerated. True salvation begins a process of transformation. And true brokenness and a humility before God brings transformation. And a teachable spirit that allows God through his word and others to speak into your life and you receive it, that brings transformation. If you will remove the veil, the light of God and the knowledge of God will be shined into your life. And then he says this, he says, you want to know how to really, really spend time and how to grow with God Just hang out with Jesus. It's through Jesus that we are transformed. Well, how do you spend time with Jesus? How do you hang out with Jesus? Through worship. Some of you, you come in late to our worship as if it's not important to you. And I know perhaps you've got worship during the week. But it's not the same as being in a corporate place of worship. We are as a a family crying out to God and You know, if there are people in this room that don't know Christ, our corporate worship is a letter that brings glory to God. 
God's counting on our letter to reflect him. When we worship and when we worship, we're acknowledging his greatness. We're acknowledging that we are broken. We are being humbled. We are saying, God, you're awesome and I'm nothing. And what I find is people who have a hard time saying, God, you're awesome. They think very highly of themselves and they're not very teachable. And, and, and I see this, you may not be someone who likes music. You may not be a singer. You may have a horrible voice. Well, join the family. And I think the Bible says make a joyful noise to the Lord has a lot to do with voices. But you know what? A room filled with people who can't sing, lifting up the name of Jesus is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. You spend time with him by worshiping him, not only corporately, but at home, on your own, in your car. We spend uh, our days at our house filling our home with as much worship as possible. Also, in, in the word of God, this is God speaking to you. This is God talking to you. Well, God never talks to me. Yeah, he does. He's got, he's got 66 letters written to you. 27 of them just about his son. You want to hear God speak? Read his word. It blows my mind how many Christians never read their Bible. It's no wonder we are tossed all over the place by false teaching and false doctrine and and we're so uh, undisciplined in our life and we look just like the world because we don't know the word. Just get in it, grow in it. Start with the New Testament. Meet Jesus. If you've never read the Bible, start in the New Testament and read the whole thing in the New Testament, then start the Old. But meet Jesus, walk with him. Another way you spend time with Jesus is just being quiet in his presence. Some of you are like bouncing around, man, I got to go here. I got schedules here. I got to get up another hour earlier because I got more things and I can't fit them all in into the day. And you're like, to add anything. and then you get home, like, I'm exhausted. You don't even have time to hang out with your kids. You might play with them for an hour and have the rest of the world get them for five hours a day or eight hours a day. And you maybe get 30 minutes in and you wonder, what's wrong with my kids? And you think, man, I haven't talked to God in like weeks. I haven't been silent. I haven't been quiet. I haven't had a cup of coffee on my back patio and just listen to God forever. And you wonder, how come, God, I can't feel you? How come I can't sense you? How come your presence is not with me? God says, number one, my presence is with you. It has not left you. And I am with you if you will just be quiet, if you will just be silent, if you will just take the time to sit down and spend time with me and talk to me and then just listen and let my peace fill your heart and my presence fill this room. Some of you haven't done that in a long time. And through prayer, you know, whenever a pastor does a sermon series on prayer, you know what the church attendance does? Because prayer is one of the most boring topics to preach on. But ironically, it's, it's probably the thing that we should be the best at, that we stink the most at. I mean, other than a prayer for a meal, how often do you actually just talk to God? I mean, it's not like I'm meeting you at 8 o'clock today, God, and then boom, I got my appointment in. I'll see you tomorrow at this time. He is with you. Talk to him. The Bible says pray without ceasing. How do you do that? 
Will you walk in an attitude of prayer? You spend time with them all day long. When I'm in my car, when I'm going to the mailbox, when I'm on my way to meet somebody, when I'm meeting with somebody, I might talk to God while I'm meeting with somebody. God, lead me, guide me. Okay, you know, I need you right now. Before service, I'm over there praying, crying out to God, God, I'm broken. I need you. I feel insignificant. My back has been hurting for a week. God, I need you. I need you. I'm talking to him. I'm hanging out with him. I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a relationship with, with God so I can talk to him whenever I want to, which is all the time because I need him more than ever. Spending time with God transforms our life. Second Corinthians 4, he says, we do not lose heart. Because of this, he says, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I want to ask you, I want to give you three questions that you can ask yourself to know if you're growing. You're like, how do I know if I'm being transformed? How do I know if I'm growing? Some of you, you've been walking with God for 60 years and you still don't know if you're a mature Christian or not. Some of you, it's been a few months. Some of you, you're not walking with God at all. These are questions for everyone in this room. Three questions that will say, according to this passage, if we're growing or not. The first question is this, are we confessing and turning from sin? He says, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. Are you humble? Are you allowing God's word to reveal Sin to your life? Are you allowing God's word to correct you, to change you? And when you get before your God, are you saying, God, I need, or God, break me? Are you saying, God, forgive me? Or are you saying, God, I want this? A mature, transformed person understands the level of their depravity and cries out to God for forgiveness and we begin to look more and more like him in our lifestyle. Some of the things you struggled with in sin a year ago should not be the things you struggle in today. Okay? That shows life transformation. Are you confessing and turning from sin? Number two, are you becoming a person of integrity? He says, we do not use deception. Are you honest in your dealings with people? Are you honest when your dealings at work Are you honest in how you do your school? Are you honest with your wife, with your neighbor, with your friends? Are you a person of truth? Are you a person of integrity? This is a huge factor that shows spiritual growth and maturity. If I see a believer that is like, lying to get out of trouble or cheating to get a better grade or, or trying to finagle things at work and, 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 you know, trying to get away with doing work at work. You're a person of deception and you need transformation. And then he says, nor do we distort the word of God on the contrary. He says, uh, the third question is, are you learning to handle God's word correctly? (laughs) It's pretty basic. Do you read it? Do you know how to get what is meant to be out of it? Three simple questions that Paul asks that give us evidence of our growth. Verse five, he says, and this, I'm going to end with this. He says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as our servants for Jesus sake. He says, I'm telling you again, 
It's not about me. It's about Jesus. You know, I often tell our team and our staff meetings, I'll say, if I'm the star at the end of Sunday, I've failed. If Chris is the star at the end of a worship time, he's failed because the star is Jesus. This is for, through, and by him. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory and displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. He says, you know what, guys? This is what I want to end on right now. He says, I once walked in darkness, but now I can see. Now I can see. And, and God has called me out of darkness. I'm so thankful for that. God's called me into his marvelous light. God has cast off my shame, my sin. And I turned to him and the veil was torn off. Thank God. Thank you, God, that you saw me, that you called me, that you shined your light upon me. You revealed your truth to me. And you are teaching me and you are maturing me and you are growing me and you are making me, Jesus. More like you. Thank you, Jesus, he says. He declares, and I want to ask you, are you glad Jesus showed up in your life? Are you glad he shined the light into your darkness? Or are you blind? Do you see a shimmer of light? Can you see God's face calling you? I want to tell you a story. Born in 1725, son of an English sea captain who actually spent his first years on sea at the age of 11 took his father's business and became a slave ship captain, taking Africans to the Mediterranean and the West Indies. Years he spent as a slave captain, he was forced to join the royal army against his will. He tried to desert the royal army, but he was caught, beaten, and forced to be a slave on a military ship. He lived in hunger and destitution and he often plotted ways to murder the captain of that ship and attempted suicide. After years of not getting along, they finally had had enough of him and they sold him to an African princess where he was made a slave by an African princess where he was abused and became a slave to slaves. His father, after spending years looking for him, finally found him in Africa and brought him back home. And he went right back to being a slave captain, buying and selling slaves. Until one year, returning home from a trip, a violent storm hit his ship, began to fill with water, and the side of the ship broke open. Timbers broke away and the ship began to go down and he cried out to God to forgive him and to save him. They had cargo on the ship that was beeswax and it broke loose and it miraculously got sucked to the hole and formed a closure on the hole and they were able to make it to land. From that day forward, he says that was the day that the light of God shined upon his life. When 
he was revealed for his need for Jesus and he became a hungry person for God's word. And the, he says in his memoirs, he began to read God's word and read it and read it and read it. And a process began to work in his life. And it wasn't years later when he denounced being a slave trader. And he publicly repented for his sin of being a slave trader. He went to Bible college and became a preacher and a main proponent to end slavery in England. He began to draw enormous crowds as he was a great preacher. Before he died, he wrote his own epitaph and he put it on his own gravestone and you can see it up on the screen. This guy's name was John Newton and he says, once an infidel and a libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. What timing, huh? He had once said, I am not the man I ought to be. I'm not the man I wish to be. I'm not the man I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I'm not the man I used to be. You hear that song? That saved a wretch like me. John Newton wrote nearly 300 hymns. All of them are mostly long forgotten. Except for one. Which is now the most recorded song in the history of the world. And the most popular and famous hymn of all time, John Newton wrote, Amazing Grace. And he says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Wow, we've got two music things going on. I want you to follow me out with this. I want to end with one passage. Bring that to the 2 Corinthians 3, 16, he says, Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I want to pray for you today. In one half, if you have had that glorious moment of light shining on your life and the veil is torn away, will you celebrate this morning? that you are free. And if you are bound and blind today, will you allow the freedom of the Holy Spirit to open your eyes today? Will you meet Jesus and meet his grace? Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, that you love us, that you didn't leave us to ourselves. Thank you, God, that you shine down on our light. Thank you, God, that you, in our darkness, even while we were yet sinners, you came and died for us. Father, I thank you, Lord, that if there's anyone here, Father, that your spirit, Lord, would shine in their heart and their life, that they can meet you today. Heads bowed for just a moment. I want to ask you, do you need Jesus? Would you like to know his heart and his love for you? I'm going to give you a chance to respond right now. In your own words, would you just spend some time with Jesus? In your own words, would you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin? God, I am a prideful, sinful, arrogant person 
who, God, thank you. The, the veil has come off. I see my need for you. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. Maybe you haven't done a lot of evil things, but your heart is evil. And thank you, God, that you took my heart. You gave me life. Father, thank you. Fill me with your spirit and change me from the inside out from glory to glory. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.